0: Please turn with me to Luke, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 15. As you're turning to that passage, you will also find it up on the screen behind me. Also, it is printed for you in your bulletin as well this morning. And to begin, I want to tell you an old story, Uh, but it's a good story. It's a story that you maybe uh, have heard at some point along the way, Uh, but it's a good story. And what makes it so great is it's a true story. And it's one of those stories, I believe, illustrations that you've just got to keep telling, because if you don't keep telling and passing it along, it will go away. And this story doesn't need to go away, because I think it's that good and powerful. It's a story that's taken from uh, Tony Campolo's book, Uh, The Kingdom of God is a Party. And he tells this story about a time that he was uh, in Hawaii, and he was doing a conference, and he had jet lag. And so he finds himself awake at 3 in the morning, hungry for breakfast, and so he gets in his car, he starts driving around Honolulu, looking for a place to eat, and he ends up in this diner, Uh, One of these places, he walks in, it's a real greasy spoon, one of those places where you don't even want to touch the menu. And he's the only one there, it's a small place, there's one cook in the back, and he's met this guy, and the cook's name is Harry. And so he's talking to Harry, he's eating his breakfast, sipping his coffee, and about 3.30 in the morning, the door flies open, and in walks eight or nine provocative prostitutes. He said they were loud and crude and he could hear every word because the place was so small. And he started to find himself very uncomfortable and so he starts to head for the exit. And as he's leaving, he overhears one of the girls say, hey, tomorrow is my 39th birthday. And the other girls kind of were like, so what? What do you want us to do Give you a birthday cake and give you some candles so so that you can blow them out, and the girl was dejected, of course, and said, "No, well, I was just telling you that it was my birthday. Campolo hears that, and his wheels start turning, and he gets an idea, and so he goes and he sits back down at the counter and he finishes his breakfast and coffee, and the girls leave, and he calls the cook out, and he says, "Hey, do these girls come in here every night?" And the cook, Harry, said, yeah, they come in here every night. He said, what about the one sitting next to me? Uh, and he said, oh, yeah, that's Agnes. That's a great name. And uh, that's Agnes. And she, she's here every night. And he said, well, she said that tomorrow was her birthday. And he said, what do, you think, what do you say we throw her a birthday party? And Harry goes, that's a great idea. I'll get my wife to bake a cake. You go and get all the supplies. Come at 2.30, and we'll be ready. So 2.30 in the next day, in the morning, Campolo shows up with balloons and a big banner that says, Happy Birthday, Agnes, and confetti, and the whole nine yards, and they have the birthday cake. And sure enough, at 3.15, every prostitute in Honolulu had found out about the party and was in the diner. Wall-to-wall prostitutes. And sure enough, right on cue at 3.30 in the morning, the doors fly open and in walk Agnes and her friends, and the whole place erupts in the singing of happy birthday. Listen to what Tony Campolo writes. Never have I seen a person so flabbergasted, so stunned and shaken, her mouth fell open and her legs started to buckle a bit. Towards the end of the singing, her eyes moistened and, Then out came the birthday cake. And when she saw the cake, she just wept openly. Harry insensitively mumbled, blow out the candles, Agnes, blow them out, come on. If you don't, I will. And sure enough, a few seconds later, Harry blows out the candles. Then he says, cut the cake, cut the cake. Everyone wants some cake, Harry says. Agnes looked down at the cake and softly said, if it's all right with you, I would kind of like to keep the cake for a while. Because she'd never had a birthday cake in her entire life. And she says, is that okay? And he said, of course. And he gave her the thumbs up. And so Agnes, her uh, place she lived was a couple houses down. And she takes walks out of this party carrying the birthday cake. And then stunned silence because the party was for her. And Tony Campolo says he didn't know what else to do, and so he said, let's pray. (laughs) He said, a a prayer meeting at 3.30 in the morning with prostitutes. And when the prayer was over, Harry nudged him and says, you didn't tell me you were a preacher. And he says, what kind of church do you belong to? And Campolo says at that moment the words came just right. And he said, I belong to a church that throws birthday parties for prostitutes at 3.30 in the morning. And Harry said, there is not a church in the world that loves people like that. Because if there were, I would join it. Friends, it is our full intent at Faith Presbyterian Church to be a church like that. Because we believe that's just the kind of church that Jesus came to create. A place of abounding grace. You See, we've been doing a series through our mission and through our values as we head into the fall. And if you look on the front page of your bulletin, you'll see that one of our values or part of our mission statement is to exhibit the kingdom of God in community. What does that look like? It looks like Giving away abounding grace to people that aren't like us. That's who we long to be. That's our mission. Why? Because that's what God is like. God is a God of abounding grace. And I think you'll see what I mean as I read our passage this morning. Luke chapter 15. Verses 1 through 3 and then 11 through 24. This is God's holy and inspired word. Let me... Read for us. Follow along with me. And now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, and Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. And so he told them this parable. And he tells the lost sheep and the lost coin, so this is all right together, same context. And then he tells in verse 11 this story of two sons. He says, And there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them, and not many days later the younger son gathered all that he had, and he took a journey into a far country. There he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. against heaven and before you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. This morning, as we pray, um, I'm going to also pray for the events that have taken place in Charlotte this weekend. Many of you have been watching that on the news, and we need to pray. We need to pray for our country. We need to pray for them, because there are a lot of hurting people in our nation that are uh, really, really hurting over the divisions uh, of our country. So let me pray and ask God to bless the preaching of his word, but also let's pray for them this morning as well. Let's pray together. Father, we do come to you as very needy people. We come to you as a a nation that's very needy. Lord, we are so saddened as you are by the events this weekend in Charlottesville. Seems like every time... We turn around, there's something like this happening. And I pray, Lord, that you um, would heal us. Lord, these issues and divisions that we are experiencing in our country, uh, primarily over race, are too big for us to fix ourselves. And so we are begging you to come and help us. Would you come and bring peace? Would you come and give us wisdom as a church? Through your Holy Spirit, give us insight so that we might learn more how we can be a part of alleviating and advancing the kingdom of God in our city and in our world. Father, as we pray for the preaching of your word this morning, I pray that you would convince us this morning that we are a bigger mess than we realize. But at the very same time, I pray that you would show us the incredible goodness uh, of your grace and how much that you love us. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This is one of Jesus' most fam- uh, famous parables. If you've probably heard it in some way, shape, or form over the years, the this parable. But it's also, believe it or not, one of Jesus' most misunderstood parables. Because we tend to look at this and misinterpret it and think that it's only about the younger son, the prodigal son. And even in my Bible, which probably has it in yours, you have a heading that says what? Parable of the prodigal son. What's the problem with that? Verse 11. This is a story about a man who had two sons. And you see, we see if you look at the context in verses 1 through 3, which I wanted us to uh, to be printed for you. The context actually helps us get to the meaning of the passage and work this out even more. If you look at verses 1 through 3, notice that the author notes there are two audiences there with Jesus listening to him tell these stories. Tax collectors and sinners. Who are the tax collectors? They're the scum of the earth back then. Bottom of the barrel. The lowest of the low in that society. Then who are the sinners? Well, they were a group of people... Who were known for their moral failure. And it was so public that they were then publicly labeled sinners. You got that group. And that group actually corresponds or represents the younger brother in the story. Then you also have another group. The scribes and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Who were they? Well they were the moral upstanding people. They were the people that did everything right. They were devout. They were earnest. They prayed three times a day. They tithed all that they had and they fasted as much as possible. That group corresponds with the elder brother. The older son in the story. And so what we have is a story about two sons not just one. Two brothers one unrighteous one self righteous. And what we're going to learn over the next couple of weeks is both of them are lost. Both of them are actually running away from God. One is doing it by breaking all the rules. And the other is running from God by keeping all the rules. And You see, knowing my heart this morning, I would say that the same crowd is gathered here this morning. We got those that are unrighteous here this morning. And they know it. But also, we've got the self-righteous here this morning. This morning, in our midst, we have rule keepers and rule breakers. And over the next few weeks, I want to convince us that everyone in this room, whether you're an elder brother or or a younger brother, we all need the exact same thing. We all need the love of the Father. We all need the gospel of grace because the gospel is for everyone. And what we're going to see over the next couple of weeks, I'm breaking this into two weeks. We're going to look at the younger brother tonight, or this morning, and we're going to look at the elder brother next week. And what we're going to see is that we have a God who calls both younger brothers and older brothers to receive his love and grace. That's the main idea over the next couple of weeks. This morning, we're going to look at the younger brother. And to do that, we're going to look at two points. First of all, his rebellion. And second of all, his return. So the rebellion of the younger brother and his return home. Let's look, look at number one, the rebellion. Children, here this morning, I want you to listen, okay? I've got children, and I know you like a good story. And this is an incredibly outrageous story that Jesus tells. So I want to invite you to enter in with us this morning and hear this incredible story, this outrageous story. This parable begins, and just to set it up, the brother actually, this younger brother, he represents the people who look at all their traditions around them, and they see them, and they say, I want anything but that. Because that, what I grew up with, is a straitjacket. And I want out. Because you see, they're tired, the younger brothers, those that he represents, are tired of being told what to do. I want to make my own rules. I want to do what it is that I want to do because tradition and authority keep me from living in freedom and living the life that I want to live. And so I'm out. How do we see that? Well, look at verse 12. Doesn't take long to see that. Look at the first words out of the younger brother's mouth. It never starts good when the first words are, Give me. (laughs) Give me. Give me my share of property that is coming to me. You See, we need to get into this story and understand that this would have been an outrageous, shocking request. This would have been appalling to the people who are hearing this story. Why? Because the word property there is a word bios that means life. That helps us because basically the son is saying to his father, give me your life. And that makes total sense, doesn't it? Because when do you get inheritance? Not when someone's alive. You get an inheritance when someone passes away and dies. And so you see what's going on here. The son is looking at his father and saying, I wish you were dead. I wish you were dead. And so the younger son... We see he wants the father's things, but he doesn't want the father. He looks at the father and says, give me your money. But I don't want anything to do with you. You've got to get this. This was so shameful. This was such disrespect, particularly in that culture, just like it would be today. This is the worst kind of son... That a father could have. He's spitting on the family name. He's throwing it down and stepping on it as he's walking out of town. And you know what's even more shocking? It's the father's response. That didn't happen back then either. Back then in the ancient Near East, if this were to happen traditionally, you know what the father would do? It would not have been pretty. He would have physically thrown him out of the house this father is a different kind of father and he doesn't do that he actually maintains his love for his son and gives him what he asked for look at verse 13 and the son takes it he takes his inheritance and goes to Vegas (laughs) he goes to Vegas because look he goes to a far off country And he squanders everything that he has through reckless living. Let me give you a translation. He takes his inheritance and parties his brains out. This is sex, drugs, and rock and roll kind of stuff. That's what he does, and we don't know for how long. And you think it couldn't get any worse. But it actually gets worse because he squanders it all. And he takes a job because he needs to work As a hired hand feeding pigs, pigs were filthy back in Israelite. You didn't mess with pigs. You didn't eat pigs. You didn't raise pigs. And so, anyone hearing this story, here's what you would be thinking: You know, you've heard stories or watched movies, and in your mind, you're thinking, (laughs) "This has got to be rock bottom. We can't get any worse than right now." You've thought that if you've heard stories or watched movies or read books. Well, that's what's happening here. Just when you think things are rock bottom and can't get any worse, it does. The younger son goes lower. He goes lower and he looks at the food that the pigs are eating. And he says, I wish I could eat that. See what Jesus is doing here. He's showing us the most pathetic The biggest loser on the planet. He's showing us the saddest situation we can imagine. Someone who's lower than a pig. Whose pigs are actually eating better than him. And the Pharisees had to have been thinking as they were hearing this story. There is no way that this guy is not going to hell. No way. Some of us this morning as you hear this story. Maybe you're thinking, I'm glad I'm not like this guy. What a loser. Or maybe you're thinking, I wish those younger brothers that I know that I work with or are in my friend group or in my neighborhood or the schools that I attend, boy, I wish they were here so they could get their lives turned around. You know what's interesting? Is this parable is actually much more directed towards you and your rebellious friends. Look at verses two and three. The Pharisees were grumbling, "This man receives sinners and eats with them. How dare him!" And then it says Jesus told them this parable. You see, friends, if we're ever going to be a place of astounding and abounding grace, if we're ever going to be a place where people can walk in these doors and not do it right and people who have blown it big time and if they're going to walk in here and feel comfortable you know how that happens when every single one of us in this room start to identify ourselves with the younger son because Jesus is actually saying in the gospels that unless we go down similar roads then we cannot find true life with him and let me be careful i do not mean that to follow jesus You have to follow the lifestyle of the younger brother. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is that you've got to simply look at your own heart daily. And if we really look at our own heart daily, we'll find the same thing that that younger brother saw when he was eating with the pigs that day, won't we? It's called the pigsty of the human heart. Yes, our sin might express itself differently than this younger brother, but if we're honest this morning, me being chief among them, can't we all think of ways right now of the ways that we want the Father's things, but not really the Father? Can we not think of ways that we want pleasure and independence rather than having the Father himself? See, we've got to face our heart, don't we? And when we face our heart, you know what we see? We see desperation, just like this younger son. And we see our need for a savior. And then Jesus becomes really good to us because he is all we have. Just like the father was all this son had in his situation on this particular day. And so where are you running from God this morning? What are your secrets? What are the things in your life that are so gross... That if someone found out about them, they would want nothing to do with you. What are the things in your life that you look into the mirror and say, I can't believe I did that. Where are the places that you feel lower than a pig? Friends, it's when we look at those things and actually own them. That's when we begin to change because we start to appreciate how much the father loves his son. And that leads us to our second point the return home. You want to hear something crazy? This guy actually wants to go home. (laughs) That's absurd. That is crazy. That's almost laughable. He wants to go home. When he knows how much he's shamed the family and he knows what he's done, he's got to be thinking, this is an incredibly bad idea. Because I'm about to get the beat down. And I am about to get publicly shamed. And my father is not going to want anything to do with me. That's actually the sense you get. If you look at the passage, look at verses 17 through 19. I love the way the Jesus Storybook Bible puts it. It says, He practiced his I'm sorry speech all the way home. And that's exactly what he does. All the way home. I'll just tell him I'll pay it back. I'll earn it. And I'll just tell him I'm not worthy to be a son. He can put me in a one-room garage apartment. He doesn't even have to put me in his house and it'll all be fine. He can just treat me like a hired hand because I have blown it. I have gone too far. I'm beyond help. That sound familiar? Man, how many times have I found myself doing that? Thinking, God, I'll pay it back. Surely I've gone too far. Surely you've lost your patience with me. And our instinct is to do what the son did and say, i got to work my way back in so that God will love me again. Verse 20. He's walking home practicing his I'm sorry speech. And while the son is expecting to be shamed, instead, you know what his father does? His father makes a complete fool of himself. He does. And so think about this. The son is coming up over the hill. Doesn't even have shoes on. Pig mess all over him. Smells awful. Looks awful. Is a complete train wreck. And it says while he's coming up over the hill, his father spots him. And the image is this, as I like to think about it. The father is on his rocking chair on the front porch. He's been there for weeks, every single day, looking for his son. That's the feel. And he sees his son coming up over the hill. And he doesn't wait for his son to come to him. Notice that. He's not toe-tapping. He's not scowling his face, getting ready to read the riot act. How could you? He doesn't scold him. He takes off running. As fast as he can. He takes off running. And friends, he was making a fool of himself. And that was extremely inappropriate for men back in that day. Grown men to run. They did not run. It was not dignified. It was not a noble thing to do. And so he's running. He hikes up his robes. And takes off running as fast as he can towards his son. Now stop the tape. Can you imagine? Think about that just for a second. Can you imagine if you were the son? Your father, doing what no fathers or grown men around you do, takes off running to you, and the son was full of self-hatred, shame, and guilt over what he had done and how he had treated his family. And the father gets to him. And he throws himself on him and he kisses him. He kisses the face that had pig mess all over it, and the same face that out of his mouth came, I wish you were dead. Father kisses him. In verse 20, you see, the father knows exactly what he's done, and the son begins his I'm sorry speech, and he says, I've sinned against heaven and earth and I'm no longer worthy to be your son. But did you notice what he never gets to say? Make me like one of your hired hands. Why? Because the father will have none of it. Because he's his son. And in verse 22, we see a robe and a ring and shoes. Bring me the best robe. You see, the robes were something that you would do for a king. Bring me a ring. And a ring would have been a family ring. And it was representing the fact that he was bringing him back into the family and he had a place. And then he says, bring and put shoes on his feet because only servants were, bare feet, were barefoot, not sons. Then he says, Go get the fattened calf and bring it. See, if it was just a household party, he would have killed a goat or something like that. But he says, no, 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 no. Let's go get the fattened calf. You killed the fattened calf. And that meant that this was for the whole village. This is for everybody was celebrating. And it was a way of saying he was restored to the whole community. And it sets off this incredible celebration of grace. What do we learn? Well, we learn how the Father treats sinners like you and me. You see, this younger brother, we do the exactly what we do, what he does, don't we? We hit rock bottom, we blow it again, and we start rehearsing our I'm sorry speech, and we finally get the courage to go back to God and pray. We go, I go, expecting the code shoulder and never a kiss. And you know, the good news of the gospel is that instead of the code shoulder, You get a kiss. God gives you a kiss. And so that teaches us something about repentance, doesn't it? What does the word repentance mean? It means turning from your sin back to God. And repentance means this seeing your need, think about the younger son, and then receiving God's grace. I am the king groveler of all time. You know what grovelers do? They sin and then they start saying, Where's my contract? God, let's make a contract. I'll do better next time. Give me the one room apartment and it'll all be good. But you see, grace makes it easy for the son to repent and actually makes him want to repent. Because you see, what we need more than anything else is the kindness of God. Remember Romans 2, 4, it's the kindness of God that leads to repentance. And repentance comes in our life when the Father interrupts our speech, or I'm sorry speech, And gives us a kiss and throws us a party and says, welcome home, I love you. That's what's going to change you, isn't it? See, there's a reason why it's called the gospel of the good news of God's grace. Because that's what grace is. You see, grace is you deserve to die for your sin. You deserve death. You deserve punishment. And grace says, let's throw you a party. Let's throw you a party. And some of you might say, well, Jason, that's not fair. That's what the elder brother said, by the way. We'll talk about him next week. And you're right, it's not fair. That's why it's called grace. It's not fair, but it is oh so good news for real messy sinners like me and you, isn't it? It's oh such good news for people in the midst of real secrets and real struggle and real mess people who can't clean up their act enough it's good news because it means all you need to do is simply come home and God will give you grace and throw you a party but you need to know and be clear I need to be clear about this just because it's free doesn't mean it's cheap i'm in camp i was in campus ministry for 12 years and so i've been to a lot of weddings and i've done a lot of weddings I've been to some really nice weddings. The nicest wedding I've ever been to in reception is the one I officiated early in June in Jackson, Mississippi. 650 people at the wedding. Went to the reception at the Jackson Country Club for two of my former students, and it was the most amazing thing that I have ever witnessed in my entire life. Best Best uh, wedding band I've ever heard. Four hours straight. No breaks. Can you imagine what that cost? No breaks. It was the same band, if you know who Eli Manning is, he's quarterback for the New York Giants, the same band he had at his wedding. Endless drinks, endless food. They actually, you know, BBB, the big bad breakfast that originated in Oxford, Mississippi, they had like an BBB table and it had a mound of bacon this big, which is just my game. <laughs> and so it was amazing. Bacon forever. And you, and you know the best part of it all? It was free. It was completely free. Hundreds of People. It was completely free. But it wasn't for the father of the bride. He easily laid down six figures for this wedding reception. Everyone was enjoying themselves and having the time of their life, but it cost him more than he could possibly imagine. That's Christianity. That's Christianity. See, Jesus is preparing a wedding feast for us. It's a wedding feast that will come at the end of time when Jesus comes back for his bride. And it will make that reception and wedding in Jackson, Mississippi look like nothing. It will be better and bigger than you could possibly imagine. And it will be free for all of us. But you know what? It costs God the Father everything. It cost him everything. It cost him the blood of his one and only son, Jesus. Are you still scared of God? Are you still trying to clean up your act so that you can make yourself acceptable to him? Are still trying to get your life together so that he will accept you? This story's for you because Jesus is saying, Stop running and come home. Stop running and come home and let me throw you a party. Friends, if you start to believe that, that might just change your life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for spending it all for spending it all uh, so that we could be with you forever. Forgive us of our unbelief. Forgive us for not really knowing you and expecting the cold shoulder and expecting the silent treatment and not expecting grace. And we ask that you would come help us love you like you love us. In Jesus' name, amen.